Chapter 12 of The Astonishing History of Troy Town by Sir Arthur Thomas Quillacooch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 12 of Deterioration and a Wheelbarrow that Contained Unexpected Things. Great events, meanwhile, were happening in Troy. On the eighth morning of his eclipse, Admiral Buzzer was startled by a brisk step upon the stairs. The devil's tattoo was neatly struck upon his bedroom door, and the head of Mr. Goodwin Sandys looked in. "'Ah, oh, Admiral, there you are. Like what's-his-names in the ruins of Thingamy. You'll pardon me coming up, but my wife is downstairs with Mrs. Buzzer, and I was told I should find you here. Don't rise. No dress, as they say. May I smoke? Thanks. And how are you by this time? I heard something of your mishap, but not the rights of it. I'll sit down, you can tell me all about it.' Here was affability indeed. The Admiral conquered his first impulse of diving beneath the bedclothes, and, lying back, recounted his misadventure at some length. The Honourable Frederick listened and smoked with perfect gravity. At the close he said, "'Very dirty treatment, upon my word, though I'm not sure I don't sympathise with the fellow in warning off the women. But why stay in bed?' "'There are feelings,' began the Admiral. "'Ah, to be sure, injured feelings, ungrateful country—' blow, blow, thou winter ruined, etc. So you take to bed, like the Roman gentleman who went too, forget the place. Gets rid of the women, too. Nuisance women, when you're upset. Nonsense that about pain and anguish playing the deuce, and a ministering angel thou, Tommy Rot, I call it. Can't be bothered now, in bed. Turn round and snore. Wife has hysterics. Snore louder. Capital. I've a mind to try the same plan when Geraldine is fussing and fuming. These infernal women!' I'm sorry to say that the Admiral, instead of defending Mrs. Buzzer, began to exculpate Mrs. Goodwin Sandys. "'But your wife is so charming, so—' "'Of course, my dear sir, so is Mrs. Buzzer.' "'She was termed the Belle of Portsmouth at the ball where I proposed to her,' remarked the Admiral, with some complacency. "'To be sure, trust a sailor to catch the pretty girls, eh?' The Admiral chuckled feebly. "'But these women—' "'Ah, yes, these women—' "'Bachelor life was pleasant, eh, Admiral?' "'Nah!' The two men looked at each other. A smile spread over either countenance. I regret to say the Admiral winked, and then chuckled again. "'Admiral, you must get up.' The Admiral stared interrogatively. His visitor pursued with some inconsequence. "'By the way, is there a club here?' "'There's the jolly Trojans down at the Man of War. They meet on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and low lot, I suppose.' "'Well, yes,' admitted the Admiral. "'Certain amount of good fellowship prevails, I understand. "'But low, of course, distinctly low.' "'The Honourable Frederick tapped his boot reflectively with his malacca. "'Admiral,' he said at last, "'you ought to found a club here.' "'The rest my heart, I never thought of it.' "'It is your duty.' "'You think so?' "'Sure of it.' "'I will get up,' said the Admiral decisively. "'He started out of bed and looked around for his clothes.' "'Nice place, the country,' pursued the Honourable Frederick thoughtfully. "'Fresh eggs and grass to clean your pipe with, but apt to be dull. "'Now, a pleasant little society—cards, billiards and social reunions. "'Select, of course.' "'Of course. Uh, do you happen to be sitting on my trousers?' "'Huh? No, I believe no. Let me see. Limited loo and a modest pool of an evening. "'Hello, what's the matter?' The Admiral had rushed to the door. "'Emily!' he bawled down the stairs. "'Well, I'll be going. Can't find your trousers. 
Admiral hits the last straw. But we'll be revenged, Admiral. We'll found a club, and by George, sir, we'll call it the Inexpressibles. Ta-ta for the present, said Mr. Goodwin Sandys, retired. For what was being discussed below when the Admiral's voice disturbed his wife? Alas, you shall hear. These men, Mrs. Goodwin Sandys was saying, are all alike. But, my dear, why not disregard his absurd humours? I have revolted from Frederick long ago. You don't say so. It is a fact. Take my advice and do the same. It needs courage at first, but they are all cowards. Oh, such cowards, my dear. Revolt. Cry havoc and let slip. My dear, I should faint. Oh, poor soul, reflect. How pretty the domestic virtues are, but how impossible. Besides, how unfashionable. Mrs. Buzzer reflected. I will, she exclaimed at last. Just then her husband's voice detonated in the room above. She arose, trembling like a leaf. "'Be firm,' said her adviser. "'I will.' "'Sit down again. It will do him no harm to wait.' Mrs. Buzzer obeyed, still trembling. It was at this moment that the Honourable Frederick re-entered the room and looked around with a slow smile. "Nelly," he observed, when they were outside the house, "'you're a vastly clever woman, my love.' "'How's the Admiral?' was the reply. "'He nibbles, my angel. He bites.' "'I heard him barking. And how long will Brady be given us?' Two months, my treasurer.' Mrs. Goodwin Sandys reflected for a moment, and then made the following extraordinary reply. "'Be easy, me dear. In six weeks I'll be ready to elope from yours.' What passed between the Admiral and Mrs. Buzzer when they were left together was never fully known. But it was quickly whispered that in number two Alma Villas the worm had turned. Oddly enough, the spread of conjugal estrangement did not end here. It began to be rumoured that Lawyer Pellow and his wife had differences, that Mr. and Mrs. Simpson dined at different hours, and that the elder Miss Strip had broken off a very suitable match with a young ship's chandler, on the grounds that the ship's candles were not genteel. It was about this time, too, that Mrs. Wapshot, at the confectionery shop, refused to walk with Mr. Wapshot on the rope-walk after Sunday evening service, because domestic bliss was horrid vulgar. And Mrs. Goodwin Sandy's dictum that one admirer at least was no more than a married woman's due, only failed of acceptance because the supply of admirers in Troy fell short of the demand. She had herself an ex-Samuel Buzzer and Mr. Moggridge. Meanwhile, the Admiral was not idle, and had anything been needed to whet his desire for a club, it would have been found in a dreadful event that happened shortly afterwards. It was May morning, and the Admiral was planted in the sunshine outside number 2 Alma Villas, loudly discussing the question of the hour with Mr. Goodwin Sandys, Lawyer Pellow, and the little doctor. "'No, we can't have him,' he was round at declaring. "'The club must be select, or it is useless to discuss it further.' "'Must draw the line somewhere,' murmured the Honourable Frederick. "'Quite so. At this rate we shall be admitting all the jolly Trojans.' Just then an enormous wheelbarrow was observed approaching, seemingly by supernatural means, for no driver could be seen. The barrow was piled to a great height, and staggered drunkenly from side to side of the road. But the load, whatever it was, lay hidden beneath a large white cloth. Ugh, said the little doctor dubiously. "'But of course you know best, but I should have thought that as an old inhabitant of Troy—' "'Poh, my dear fellow,' snapped the Admiral, "'it is natural that the feelings of a few will be hurt. 
"'but if once we begin to elect the jolly Trojans—' "'The barrow had drawn near, meanwhile, "'and now halted at the Admiral's feet. "'From behind it stepped into view an exceeding small boy, "'a tarred maidly in a gigantic pair of corduroys "'that reached to the armpits "'and were secured with string around the shoulders. "'His face was a mask of woe, "'and he staunched his tears on a very grimy shirt-sleeve "'as he stood and gazed mutely into the Admiral's face. "'Go away, boy!' said Admiral Buzzer severely. The boy sobbed loudly, but made no sign of moving. "'Go away, I tell you!' "'Tis for you, sir.' "'For me? What does the boy mean?' "'Sir, Mrs. orders that I must bring it to Admiral Buzzer's, and if I don't pay out Billy Higgs for this next time, I'm Eastwion.' "'The child's daft!' roared the Admiral. "'Damn the boy! What has Billy Higgs to do with me?' "'Poured a teacupful of water down the nape of me breeches "'when I got halfway up the hill "'and couldn't set the barrel down to fight him, the coward! <laughs> "'And tears flowed again at the recollection. "'What is it?' "'Cake, sir.' "'Cake? "'It's a cake!' "'The youth stifled a sob "'and removed the white cover from the wheelbarrow. "'Bless my soul!' gasped the Admiral. "'There must be some mistake!' "'Certainly seems to be cake.' "'observed the Honourable Frederick, examining the load through his eyeglass. "'A very good cake, too, by the smell.' "'He was right. "'High on the barrow, and symmetrically piled, "'rested five-and-twenty huge cakes, "'yellow cakes, such as all Trojans love, "'each lard as a millstone, tinctured with saffron, "'plentifully stowed with currants, "'and crisp with brown crust, steaming to heaven, "'and wooing the nostrils of the gods.' "'Bless my soul,' repeated the Admiral, "'but I never ordered this.' Each member of the group in turn advanced, inspected the cake, sniffed the savour, pronounced it excellent, and looked from the Admiral to the boy for explanation. "'Mrs. Timmond down to the man of war sent it, sir, with her compliments to Master Sam, and hoping as you'll find it plumb in the bacon as it leaves her at present, and the currency you have picked careful, knowing as he's a sweet tooth.' "'Sam? Do you mean to tell me that Sam, that my son, ordered this? Upon my word of all!' "'Exactly. Order it, sir. Won it, fair and square. Bill Hodgers come next with seven and ninety gallon. But Master Sam topped the lot by a dozen gallon easy.' "'Gallons? What the devil is the boy talking about?' "'Beer, sir. Beer. First prize for top score of beer drunk down to the man of war since first of November last. He's a wonderful beer, is Master Sam,' pursued the relentless urchin, who by this time had forgotten his tears. "'Hundred and nine gallons, sir.' "'Bill Hodger's so jealous as far, says he'd have won it same as he did last time, "'and your Master Sam's got the longer purse. "'Offer to fight him, and the wise man to pay for both next time.' "'Mr. Goodwin Sandys turned aside to conceal a smile. "'Lawyer Pellow rubbed his chin. "'The Admiral stamped. "'Take it away!' "'Where are we to take it to, please, sir?' "'Take it away anywhere. Take it to the devil.' "'But worse remained for the little man.' During this conversation there had come unperceived up the road a gentleman of mild appearance dressed in black, and carrying under his arm a large parcel wrapped about with whitey-brown paper. The newcomer, who was indeed our friend Mr. Fogo, now advanced towards the Admiral with a bow. "'Admiral Buzzer, I believe?' The Admiral turned and faced the speaker. His joy fell like a signal flag, but he drew himself up with fine self-repression. "'Sir, I am Admiral Buzzer.' "'I have come,' said Mr. Fogo, quietly pulling the pins out of his parcel, "'to restore what I believe is your property, 
"'Will someone oblige me by holding this pin? Thank you. "'And at the same time to apologise for the circumstances under which it came into my hands. "'Dear me, what a number of pins, to be sure. "'I have done what lay in my power with the clothes-brush and emery powder "'to restore it to its pristine brilliance. "'The treatment—that's the last, I think—has not, I am bound to admit, answered my expectations. "'Its results, however, is as you see.' Here Mr. Fogo withdrew the wrapper, and with a pleasant smile held out a cocked hat. The Admiral, purple with fury, bounced back like a shot on a red-hot shovel, stared, tried to speak, but could not, gulped, tried again, and finally, shaking his fist at Mr. Fogo's face, flung into the house and slammed the front door. The course of this transport turned a pair of bewildered spectacles on the others, and found them convulsed with unseemly mirth. He singled out the Honourable Frederick, and addressed himself to that gentleman. I, "'I have not had the pleasure to be acquainted with you, sir, but if you can supply me with any reason for this display of temper, believe me. My name is Goodwin Sandys, sir, at your—' "'What?' Mr. Figo dropped the cock hat, and sat down suddenly among the cakes. "'Are you?' he gasped. "'Are you, Mr. Goodwin Sandys, the Honourable Frederick Augustus Hythe? Good heavens!' "'No, sir,' said the Honourable Frederick, who had grown a thought pale. "'Good wind, sir. Good wind, Sandys. What then?' "'I never saw your face before,' murmured Mr. Fogo faintly. "'That, sir, if a misfortune, is one which you share with a number of your fellow-men. "'And permit me to tell you, sir,' continued Mr. Goobin Sandys, with unaccountable change of mood, "'that I consider your treatment of my friend Admiral Buzzer unworthy of a gentleman, sir. Unworthy of a gentleman. Come, doctor.' "'Come, Pelle, I want a word or two more with you about this club.' And Mr. Goodwin Sandys ruffled away, followed by his two slightly puzzled companions. For the space of two minutes Mr. Fogo gazed up the road after them. Then he sighed, took off his spectacles, and wiped them carefully. "'So that,' he said slowly, "'is the man she married?' "'Yes, sir.' Mr. Fogo started, turned round on the barrow, and beheld the urchin from the man of war. "'Little boy,' he said sternly, "'your conduct is unworthy of a—I mean, what are you doing here?' "'You've been and squashed a cake,' said the boy. Mr. Fogo gave him a shilling, and hurried away down the road, but stopped once or twice on his homeward way to repeat to himself, "'So that is the man she married.' It took Admiral Buzzer several days to recover his composure, but when he did, the project of the new club grew with the conjugal disintegration of Troy, and at a rate of progress scarcely inferior. Within a week or two a house was hired in Nelson Row, a brass plate bearing the words Trojan Club affixed to the door, and Admiral Buzzer installed in the presidential chair. The presidential chair occupied the right-hand side of the reading-room window, which overlooked the harbour, and the presidential duties consisted mainly in conning the morning papers and discussing their contents with Mr. Goodwin Sandys, who usually sat, with a glass of whisky and the club telescope, on the left-hand side of the window. Indeed, it would be hard to say to which of the two, the whisky or the telescope, the Honourable Frederick more sedulously devoted himself. It is certain, at least, that under the Admiral's instruction he soon developed a most amazing familiarity with nautical terms, was a mine of information almost as soon as the club invested in a yacht register, on the subject of Lord Sinkport's yacht, the auxiliary screw Neobe, and swept the horizon with a persistence that made his fellow members stare.
But the most noticeable feature in this nautical craze was the disproportionate attention which the Honourable Frederick lavished on Barks. It was the first rig that he learnt to distinguish, and his early interest to develop before long into something like a passion. One morning, for instance, Sam Buzzer lounged into the reading room and observed, "'I say, have you seen that American bark that came in last night, the Maritana?' "'What name?' asked Mr. Goodwin Sandys, looking up suddenly. "'The Maritana, or the Mariana, or Marianne, or something of the... "'Hello, what's wrong?' But the Honourable Frederick had caught up his hat and fled. Half an hour afterwards, when he returned, his usual calm self, the little doctor took occasion to remark, "'Upon my word, you might be a detective you keep such a lookout on the harbour. a remark which caused Mr. Goodwin Sandys to laugh so consumedly that the doctor, without exactly seeing the point, began to think he had perpetrated quite a considerable joke. But let no one imagine that the disruption of Trojan morals avoided heart-burning or escaped criticism. For the line which Mr. Goodwin Sandys declared must be drawn somewhere was found not only to bisect the domestic hearth, but to lead to a surprising number of social problems. It fell across the parallels of our small society, and demonstrated that Mrs. A and Mrs. B could never meet, that one room could not contain the two unequal families X and Y, and that while one rested on the basis of trade and the other on professional skill, it was unreasonable to expect the apex Mrs. Y to coincide with the apex Mrs. X. Finally, the new geometry culminated in a triumphant process which proved that while Mrs. Simpson was allowed to imbibe tea and scandal in the company of the great, her husband must sip his gin and water in solitude at home. We had always been select in Troy, but then, in the old days, all Troy had been included in the term. When Mr. Simpson had spoken of the Jack of Oaks, meaning the knave of clubs, or had said finiguing, where others said revoking, we had pretended not to notice it, until at length we actually did not. So that a human as well as a philological interest attaches to the date when fashion narrowed the meaning of come your foe to exclude the Jack of Oaks, and sent Mr. Simpson home to his gin and water. The change was discussed with some asperity in the bar-parlour of the man-of-war. "'Your glasses in Troy's blooming fine nowadays,' remarked Richard Giddy, lately known as Recob, over his beer, on the night when the resignations of Mr. Buzzer, Jr. and Mr. Moggridge had been received by the Jolly Trojans. "'If they get the leastest bit finer, as I'd be able to see em on,' answered Bill Hodgers, who was reckoned a wit. "'I've heard tell as Trojans as cousins and ale-fellow well met all the world over, but the ale to this place is a-getting a bit above itself.' "'That's a true word, Bill,' interposed Mrs. Dimmon from the bar. "'I'd say, gear this day our daily bread, and then turn up a nose a good saffron cake, "'is flying in the face of Providence, and no less.' "'You don't say that!' exclaimed Rickob, who was an admirer of Bill's radical views. "'I do, though. Look at Kin Richard, him the play-actin'. "'I reckon he's one of the upper ten of anybody. "'And what does he do? "'Why, throttles a pair of babbies, "'puts a gentleman in a gridge again into a cask of wine, "'which were the spotiation of both.' "'Murders most every one he claps eyes on, "'and then when he's got the jumps and sees the spirits and blue flower, "'goes off and offers to swap his old blooming kingdom for an oss. "'An oss, mind you, he hadn't seen, "'let it know not being in a state of mind to judge horse flesh. "'What's true of kings, I reckon is true of honourables. "'They're all reared up to the same high notions, "'and I reckon I'll find out before long. 
I never said no good in making try fashionable myself. End of chapter 12